This is the Sporting KC Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. It falls to Ely on the volley! What a finish! Gotti Kinda has struck! It falls to Polino and he puts it in! To Johnny Russell, first time shot! And Johnny Russell has a hat trick! The Sporting KC Show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Superior light beer with only 95 calories and 2.6 carbs. Michelob Ultra. Find your fit. Now your host, Nate Buchanan. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, and wherever you get your podcasts and wherever you stream your video content. We appreciate you watching. We appreciate you listening. I am Nate Buchanan, joined as always by Carter Augustine in front of the scarf wall. Hello, Carter. How are you? Feeling great, Nate. Survive in advance, right? Survive in advance is right. Ali Trost is off this week, and we've got uh, the equally talented Jacob Peterson uh, joining us as well. What's up, Jacob? How are you, man? What's up, Nate? How's it going, man? You know, just surviving in advance. And like Carter Augustine said, we got a busy show coming up today. We've got uh, Tim Melia joining us on the show. Uh, look, Tim Melia. We're going to talk a lot about him before he comes on the show because Tim doesn't like to talk about himself. So we'll probably ask him a couple of questions about himself, but after that, we'll just get into the team and all those other things with Sporting KC as they get a victory and penalties in historic fashion against San Jose in the first round. And then uh, later in the show, we'll preview the next matchup. Minnesota United going to be on uh, either December 1st or December 2nd at Children's Mercy Park, sporting in the nicest rivalry in sports playoff edition for the first time ever so that's all coming up on the show but guys let's talk about it first I hope you've all had some time to think about what to say about Tim Melia now that you maybe couldn't think of because none of us can come up with the right words to describe what we're witnessing in real time Carter you were on the sideline for it um got anything new what 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 can you say about Tim Melia the penalty stopper I don't – I mean, this one just seems – this one was so absurd. I, I, I will say – I will say, like, there's a weird feeling even heading into the penalties uh, against San Jose that, you know, as someone who, you know, follows soccer, has is fan of, of Liverpool and of the United States and um, seen a lot of penalty kick shootouts, there's, like, a weird feeling with Tim Milia in goal that you feel like he's going to save every one which isn't fair to Tim Melia or any goalkeeper, but it, it honestly just feels that way. And it, it, when it happens in the run of play, as we saw so, so many times during the regular season, you, you just feel so much more confident than uh, when an, a normal penalty gets awarded against pretty much any other goalkeeper and, you're, and you just kind of assume it's going to be a goal. That was already the case going into this penalty shootout. And then he does something that's never been done in MLS history. He saves three, you know, not three misses, three saves, and they advance. It, it, it's just absurd. And I was shooting the game um, and was focusing on the, the bench reactions. And just, I mean, the, the look of, of the guy's face is, is part bewilderment, but also part kind of expected him to save everything. So, I, I, I mean, yeah. What can you say about this guy? It's it's incredible. Jacob, you, you've played with great goalkeepers. You said in our very first game of the year that Tim Millie is the best goalkeeper you've ever played with. 
I know he's a, a friend of yours, a longtime teammate of yours. Uh, are you amazed or, or by this point, is it just like, yeah, that's the Tim Melia that I know? Yeah, Nate, I think you uh, in, I don't know if it was in our, our post game or if it was on the radio when you said, uh, you know, if you see a unicorn uh, walking down the street, uh, don't try to normalize it uh, or something. <laughs> yeah, like that. that's right. I mean, it's not normal. It, it's, it's unprecedented. It's bizarre. There are no words because it, it hasn't happened before. And I think Carter said it there. It's weird expecting a goalkeeper to save penalties um, because they're not, they're not supposed to, you are not supposed to, to save it as an attacker, as a shooter, you should score every single time. There's no reason that you should miss really. Um, but I think it, I don't know. You, you kind of expect at some point we talked about it, that eventually he's not going to save some, or, you know, he's, he's going to lose in one of these. And, uh, he just then outdoes himself and saves the first three. And now I think, too, it – yes, p players knew how good he was before, but um, I think the only other goalkeeper, even though Matt Jordan um, was great at saving penalties as well, um, a player who I played with in Colorado a little bit, played in FC Dallas for, for a long time too. But Nick Romano is the one guy that you kind of think of as being, okay, he's the best at, at penalties. And, and it does kind of creep into your mind then as an attacker that, all right, I got to hit this one perfect. And maybe Tim Melia, because of Kansas City and because of Tim in general, maybe guys around the league didn't know just how good he was. But now after this, everybody saw that big time stage in the playoffs. Now if another penalty gets taken against him, or there's another shootout, you can bet that guys who are stepping up there, the goal's going to feel a little bit smaller for them. Which is the number one job of a goalkeeper. I remember hearing an analyst when I started watching a whole lot of soccer games a good 20 years ago, one of the first things I, I, I'd always stuck out to me, the number one job of a goalkeeper is to make the goal feel small to his opponents. And Tim Melia does that. And Carter, the thing about, I mean, there, there's many different things I want to discuss with this. I'm sorry. I don't think we can spend too much time talking about it. I really don't. That's how otherworldly this production is. We've watched it time and time again. It doesn't matter if it's a penalty shootout. It doesn't matter if his team's conceded a penalty. It doesn't matter if he screwed up and concedes the penalty. He makes the stop more often than he doesn't. And what's really, there's a lot that goes into it, but guessing the right way right? That, that's a huge part of it. The MLS put together a list, you know, like a highlight reel of some of his saves over the years. And there was one in particular that, that in my memory, I, I was already thinking of, which was the, the one against Albert Rusnak in Salt Lake. I think it was last year where he tried to penanke it right down the middle. And Tim, Tim could have chested it down. I mean, he just, he just stood there and caught it. Didn't move a muscle. For a guy that guesses the right way so many times, you know, you got to commit right when the guy kicks the ball. And so you would think that guy would, the guy that guesses right so many times would be susceptible to the one right down the middle because he's committing. They showed like three different penalties where somebody tried to go right down the middle and Tim stayed put and saved it. It's like, I don't, I, I'm a terrible card player because 
I can't, I, I, I can't lie with my eyes. I can't lie with what my facial expression is. And I'm really not that great at reading somebody else. Tim Melia seems like the guy that's at the poker table that knows how to read every single person at the table. We know he does a lot of homework and Alec Dufty helps him with a lot of homework, but Carter, it's not just that he he's able to read these guys as well. I'm convinced of it that he's got like a sixth sense that just the average human being doesn't have. Certainly. I mean, it can't all be the, the, uh, the scouting reports because, you know, sometimes the guys will switch them up. Uh, you know, he'll definitely credit the scouting reports and Alec Dufty. I mean, he's, he's one of the guys that stays the latest at the training facility every single day. And I, I got to think, you know, if, the, if a guy on the opposing team has taken a penalty in a youth tournament 10 years ago, in South America, like they're still going to have that penalty on tape. That's how crazy the scouting is. So it, it does really help them. But I agree with you. I think, I think it's just an innate, innate ability to read the penalty takers that he has that is so much better than anyone else. And to Jacob's point, it shouldn't be that you expect him to save it. I mean, you look at the other penalty kick shootouts that happened this weekend and you know, the one in, in Portland, one guy missed. One guy missed. 16. Out of 16. So, you know, that should be the normal th That should be the normal way it goes. So uh, yeah, I, it has to be just um, a, a special characteristic that he has, and maybe he'll share the secret sauce someday as a coach or, or something like that, or maybe it, it's just not a secret sauce. And it's, it's something that he's got. I mean, he also has just that. We talk about it all the time in the, in the one V ones, his, he's so powerful mm -hmm. and able to stay low to ground that he can quickly get from side to side. He's so agile on his line as well. That, that certainly helps his ability to, to get to the, the penalties as well. Yeah, Carter, that, that's what I was going to say is obviously there's a lot that goes into it and the prep work, but you know, a lot of goalkeepers do that. Every, almost every single goalie that I played with does a lot of prep work as well. And, and, you know, they know guys' tendencies and, but like you said, guys can switch it up. So it, it's not that. It's too – I mean, that's a part of it, of course. But, you know, a lot of guys guess the right way too. I mean, we, we see goalkeepers guess the right way, and they're just, you know, a, a little bit late to it or, or, you know, don't quite get enough on it to keep it out. But he, Tim is just so explosive. He's got that – the best thing that I can think of is like that, that linebacker almost in there where, you know, he's a bigger – you know, he's not a, a Gerso where he's just, you know, full out speed and, you know, pretty skinny. Um, but he's just powerful. He's got that explosiveness, those first couple steps or that, you know, explosive dive to, to either side. But most goalies don't have that. I don't think I played with a goalie who is as explosive and as, as athletic as Timilia is. And I mean, you can guess the right way, but, but if you don't have the athletic ability to get there, you're not going to make a save. And Tim Melia is one of those rare guys that, that has kind of that whole package. And Last, Nate, go ahead, I'll, Carter. I was going to say, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about the penalty kick shootout because it's just, I mean, it, you have to, it was so incredible, but you know, we, as a, in sporting, we were trying to, you know, come up with, you know, Tim's game highlights and stuff like that and talk about what all he did. And it was, he did so much in the game. And you, you talk about the double save at the end, which mm -hmm. was incredible. Um, but then also in extra time, which I think is getting kind of lost in the shuffle, 
the 1v1 that he had that kept him in, in the game and, and, and went to the penalty. I mean, that, that was incredible as well. And that's something that we've talked about numerous times. I think he's so phenomenal in 1v1s. I mean, he's, he's obviously – he, I think he's cemented himself as the best penalty stopper in, in, in league history. But you talk about 1v1 situations as well. And, he, I, you know, it'd be tough to find someone in the league right now that's better. So not only did he do it, all that in the penalty kick shootout, but in, re- in regulation as well, he was, he was phenomenal. Yeah, I think it was Cade Cowell that, that had that, that 1v1, and he, he denied him with a, with a kick save that was incredible. But I, <laughs> we're going to have to get Kurt Austin or, or Sam Kofson or something on it. Uh, to me, it's not even a question of the best in the league. It's, is he the best in the world? Um, is there possibly anybody at any professional level that is saving penalties at the rate this guy has done for the past six years? Because I, I can't fathom it. I can't believe that there is. Uh, maybe there is somebody out there somewhere. You well, know? The, the question that's popping up on the internet is going back to the Tim Kroll situation with the Netherlands where they brought him to the World Cup as a backup keeper in Brazil, and then they substituted him in for penalties, and, he, and they won that penalty kick shootout. And then the next, I believe the next round, they went to penalties again and they didn't sub him and they lost that penalty kick shootout. So I'll posit the the internet question to you guys. 36-year-old Tim Melia, you know, why not have him in in Qatar if if the U.S. are are able to qualify? 36-year-old Tim Melia is better than any of the goalkeepers in their pool right now. In my opinion. Uh, Jacob, you, you, you've, you've played with these guys. So you tell me. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what's kind of a, I wouldn't say disappointing, but a goalie as good as Tim Melia should be with the national team should have a bunch of caps with the national team. And because of when he is developed into a dominant goalie and one of the best goalies in the league. And because of the U S national team situation where, you know, they, they were almost building for the future because they didn't have any, any, a lot of players in the present that were able to, to make it and missing out on that world cup, I think really hurt Tim's chances with the national team because mm-hmm. you said it, there's no reason that Tim Mueller should not be in consistently be uh, one of those goalkeepers that has been called in now for years. And I just think it's unfortunate and it sucks when, when you know how good Tamilia is. And I've said it, he's the best goalie that I played with. And I played with a, a lot of good goalkeepers uh, throughout my career. Stefan Fry, Joe Cannon, Brad Gazan. I mean, really good elite goalkeepers. And, and Tamilia has been the best. And it, it's, it's kind of sad to see that, that he hasn't had that uh, extended run with the U.S. national team because he's deserved that. I'd love to see it. That'd be so incredible. It, it, down in CONCACAF, whatever, you know, if you're going to get into situations where you not, might need penalties, what better weapon could you possibly have than Tim Melia? Last thought on Tim, and we'll take a break. The thing that, that maybe I find most remarkable about this character of Tim Melia that we're discussing is the goalkeeper is usually the larger-than-life character on the field. There's usually, it seems like they're usually missing a couple of screws, right? They, they want you to think of them as eccentric. They want to have a big personality. When the penalties happen, we all remember Jimmy Nielsen's antics of reading the notes and, and walking out and standing right on the penalty spot and saying some things to try to get in the head of the opponent. Is there a bigger antithesis 
to what we think of as the big brash personality as a goalkeeper than Tim Melia. I mean, he doesn't show anything, Jacob, when, when he is out there. He doesn't try to intimidate the other team. He doesn't, he doesn't, he does, if anything, he's like the Mike Tyson that just stares at the opponent. And that's the intimidation right there. I, what, what do you make of how Tim's able to be this ridiculously humble, uh, low-key personality at a position that usually calls for the exact opposite? Yeah, you're right. It is kind of odd. Um, but I think Tim's just one of those guys that, that lets his play do the work for him. He doesn't need to talk about it. He doesn't need to uh, tell everybody how good he is or get out there on social media and blast it all out. He's, he lets his play good player and somebody uh, who has been, you know, the standard bearer for MLS for quite a few years. All right. We're going to go ahead and take a break. We're going to talk with Tim Melia next. You'll probably expect, I do anyway, that he's not going to want to talk too much about himself. We'll see if we can get something out of him there. And then we'll talk about the big win against San Jose and the big game coming up against Minnesota United. That's straight ahead on the Sporting Kansas City show. All right, welcome back to the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you stream your video content. And uh, we appreciate you joining us. Got Carter Augustine and Jacob Peterson with us. And yes, Carter, uh, you've got the superhero scarf there. I believe that what I said at the end of the game the other night is that uh, Tim Melia is not a mere mortal. He is superhuman. And there is actually a scarf to prove it. Tim Melia as a superhero uh, on the scarf there. Tim Melia joins us on the show now. And I, I'm sure that just makes you angry right there because there's nothing that makes you madder than when people praise you right in front of your face. Tim, how are you, man? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. So, uh, look, I know that we're going to be in for a challenging interview here because there's one thing that Tim Melia hates talking about is Tim Melia. So we're going to have to find some creative ways to, to get you to want to do this. And I want to go back to something that was written after the game that blew my mind. Um, and it came from The Athletic. And I'm just going to read this word for word, Tim. Melia's performance in the shootout, where he stopped penalties from San Jose's Oswaldo Alaniz, Jackson Ewell, and Christian Espinoza, was unprecedented. Never before in MLS competition had a team failed to score in a shootout, let alone had all three of their penalties saved. That extends beyond league competition. In the history of the U.S. Open Cup, an MLS team has failed to convert a single shootout attempt only once. That came back in 2010 when the Chicago Fire couldn't score from the spot in a shootout loss to the USL's Charleston Battery. Charleston's goalkeeper that day, Tim Melia. Ten years later, man, Ten years later, what do you – I don't even want to talk about this shootout against San Jose. What do you remember about that game with the Charleston Battery against the Chicago Fire ten years ago? Playing 90 minutes in our own 18, or more than that, <laughs> 120 minutes in our own 18. That was a game we were in Chicago, and I don't remember what round it was, but we literally had our entire team standing in our 18, and we were just hanging on the whole game. But they, they had – painted me in glory a little bit more than I deserve for that shootout because I think I only made one save. Um, the only one that I remember vividly was McBride hitting the crossbar. And then I believe someone hit the post or missed the net. And then I only made one save. So 
It wasn't like I went out there and made three saves. <laughs> well, um, I'm just I, – I, what does that stat mean to you hearing that? Uh, it's only happened twice, once in U.S. Open Cup and then once in an actual MLS competition, and uh, it turns out you're the one that's that's been the goalie for both of them. It's crazy. I'm more impressed I've been playing for 10 years, but <laughs> there's a lot of time I wasn't going to be playing for 10 years. I think that was the thing that stuck out more to me. But no, I mean, penalty shootouts are, are tricky, right? You know, it's that moment in the game where the better team doesn't normally win or, you know, you perform throughout the game really well and then anything can happen in penalty shootout. And I think just fortunately we had three very good penalty takers all stepped up with the conviction. I mean, Johnny Russell just started off and just kind of smack in the top corner. That sends a message. And then even, you know, as a goalkeeper in net for, for JT, when Johnny hit that, you know, you go the right way and it kind of, and you still don't get it. And it kind of makes you a little uneasy about all your other decisions. And then fortunately I was able to make a few saves, but all in all, incredibly happy they were able to get that result at home. Our, the fans were incredible. I mean, they say there was 4,000 people there. I don't know if I believe that because it was loud and it was, it was fun. You know, it was, probably the first game we played all season that you can really, really feel the energy of the fans just because I felt like they were out there in more numbers. So all in all, great. Now we're just happy that we're moving on, uh, accomplish the first goal of the playoffs, get into it, get through the first round, then we just got to keep moving. Yeah, Tim, you, you've answered, I'm sure, more than enough questions about the shootout, so I will not do that to you. But uh, overall, I mean, it was a crazy game ups and downs that game how uh how do you feel and how uh does the team feel that you guys played it in that game I think we have to be proud that we we went through um I think the things that we have to go back and reflect on is you know we spent a lot of time leading up to the game discussing how they're going to get their fullbacks forward they're going to serve in balls they're going to try to you know get Espinosa isolated out on the wing for cutbacks and we got scored on with the ways that we, you know, prepared to not. So I think that's something we need to go back and look at and make sure that we're a little bit better prepared for. But to speak to the game, you know, we started a game, we get a goal from, you know, Johnny Service and Roger doing his thing in the end, flicks it in the goal. And then they score, they score again. And then at that point, I think we did a really good job as a group not to, you know, let our heads drop, you know, become a team where we're going to start becoming very erratic. Um, I thought we kind of we, we needed to get to halftime for sure because we were getting opened up. We were getting we were just running around, spending expending too much energy, and then to come out in the second half, get that early goal, you know, get the goal ahead goal, and then again kind of get another gut punch right at the end from Wando. Uh, those are all things that are that are really good like learning experiences within a game in the earlier rounds of the playoffs, and I think that it'll it'll help us come together as a team, and it'll help like strengthen our positioning when we're in those situations, you know in the next game. Hopefully we're not. And hopefully, you know, we're winning these games 5-0. But those are really difficult hurdles to overcome within any game and to do them in a playoffs. So I think it's just going to make us a stronger group. So you mentioned the gut punch from Wando. The article that I referenced that I read that little bit from, I thought did a great job of talking about how this, it seemed like for a guy in Chris Wondolowski who's had this long journey where he was was never considered one of the best. He had to f scrap and fight for everything, underdog, all that stuff to become the best in the history of, of his profession and his league. It looked like it was going to be his moment. And then another guy who has this similar story of having to scrape his career together, 
for a long time to then become one of the best, stole the show from him. How much feeling of respect do you have for Wando? Be, do you see a lot of similarities there? Like, do you, is there like kind of that mutual feeling that, that the way that article painted it that you have for Chris Wondolowski and what his career has been all about? I didn't read the article, but I got asked a similar question after the game. And I actually felt bad because I shouldn't be named in the same category as Chris Wondolowski. Chris Wondolowski has done so much for this league and he's done it through just working hard and being opportunistic. And I think people are always like, oh, he scores these scrappy goals. He doesn't have this quality or this quality. But at the end of the day, the guy is a phenomenal character player within a team. You can't find someone to say a bad thing about him. And he's got the most goals in MLS history. And that's the type of guy you want on your team. That's the type of guy you want fighting for him. So I want to see him come back. I mean, I think even that game is the epitome of what Wondolowski is, is he had an opportunity. It didn't go his way. I saved it. And then two minutes later, the guy's crawling on the floor, sticking a header in the back of the goal to get his team into overtime. So, I mean, he's, he's had an amazing career, and you just hope that he continues to play because, you know, MLS needs characters and people just like that. Okay, this, this is typical self-deprecating Tim Millian when you – why don't you belong in that category? What did you say about Chris Wondolowski cannot be said about you? I, he's just done it for, I mean, he's, he's 37. He did it. I know he came in as a reserve or whatever you called it back, reserve roster. I don't remember what they used to call it back in the day, but he's just been around so much longer and he's done it for an extended period of time. I think I need to play a few more years. He's won championships. He's won supporter shields. I believe he's won an MLS cup. Yeah, you know, those are things I need to I need to get to. He's got national team appearances, and he's just been doing it for so much longer. I hope that I can continue to play and put myself in that category, but I think I have some some things to accomplish first. Well, I, I agree with Nate that I think uh, the initial description of Wando that you were saying most of those things apply to you, other than maybe the the all time leading goal scorer. Um, but uh, another guy that's maybe uh, wrote another page in his legacy was Roger Espinosa in this game, you know, his 300th appearance for the club and he gets his first playoff goal. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have Gianluca Busio in his first playoff appearance for the club, getting his first playoff goal. Um, did that kind of shine a light on the great mix that you guys have in the group this season? Yeah. I mean, we've gone all over our roster, right? A lot of guys have played minutes. Um, Busio has come into his own and I, I was giving him a little stick after the game. I was like, Oh, your, your purchase price just went up a couple million after you scored that goal. <laughs> but, um, he's someone that's been given an opportunity this year and everyone know, everyone has seen his quality and knows what he can do, but he had to do it on the field, right. And do it in big moments. And that's as bad as big of a moment as you're going to put a young kid in and he gets a ridiculous assist from Kyrie and Kyrie for me is just so underappreciated and so underrated and I still think one of our best signings of the year bringing him back is one of our best signings but to have the composure at Busio's age to in that moment to take a touch to get himself open and like freeze the goalkeeper and then just slot it in is is just incredible and then Roger being Roger man I mean Roger's that guy and we all know this that shows up 80, I know he gets the goal, goal early on, but hit, all his work's done from like the 70 minutes on when everyone else is tired and he's just buzzing around, breaking up plays and just fighting, scrapping to get us any form of result that he's so capable of getting us. 
Yeah, Tim. Uh, now you said it a little bit, and with the crazy year, I mean, you guys have had to play so many different back fours, so many different just lineups in general. Um, the back four that played in this last game seems to be, uh, even though it's kind of strange to say after giving up three goals, but uh, has kind of seemed like they've come into their own and gelled together. Uh, how's that relationship been with those guys, especially going up against uh, a Minnesota team with uh, quite a few different weapons with Molino, Reynoso, Robin Ludd, Ethan Finley, Kai Kamara coming off the bench. Uh, just a lot of weapons there uh, for Minnesota. I think we have a, a good mix of all different skill sets. You know, I think T's really come into his own. Um, he's he's so fast. And he, I mean, Espinosa, just to speak about last game, Espinosa is such a good player. And I know he had opportunities, but, you know, T was up his butt the whole game, not letting him turn. And he's only going to get better. And then, you know, Arita is, is very, very good in the air. Um, the way he steps past strikers and the balls get hit in behind and just kind of always seems to be in a good position just to head it directly in front of them has been great. Robbie's such a good balance piece for us. Um, he, he's very good at reading the game. He kind of sits in between, you know, is Reed going to be more aggressive? And if he's going to be aggressive, he tucks him behind. He's good with the ball at his feet. And then and Jalen's another one who's he, he's so athletic going up and down and he's got such a great engine. And he's like developing and learning with the group. And he's got a good quality of, you know, vets and guys who haven't played a ton of minutes around him. And he's just going to continue to grow and do well. We're visiting with Tim Melia. And Tim, you've played in knockout round games before in the Open Cup and in those, those first round type of playoff games that we've seen. But now this format is, is that's the way it's going to be the whole way through the tournament. And so far, we've seen some pretty crazy games in MLS. Um, can you describe what it's like? Like, you know, obviously you're not happy with the goals you gave up and the swings that happened in this game, but you almost have to expect that things like that are going to happen in the 90 minutes that you play. So what is it like to be on the field in one of these one and done playoff games compared to all the other competitions you've played in? I love it. I personally think it was a really smart move from the league because it makes that game, like you're saying, it makes the game so much more exciting and then silly things happen, which is entertaining. I mean, if you go back and look at the Orlando game, that was, that was crazy. <laughs> it was one of the craziest games I've ever watched. But um, to have these one-off games, it also makes, you know, it makes a season really important because having home field advantage is enormous in sports for whatever reason. It's huge. And, it, and if you can fight through the season and you know if you, you win your last game or last few games, you're going to get that hold, hold field advantage in playoffs. It makes such a difference. And then I love it because the games are just – they just go. From minute one, they're exciting. There's pressure. You know, that's what, we, that's what we do this for. And it's such a strange feeling because you play all season and then, like, you can have the best season in the world. But if you don't have a good playoffs, the season was almost a waste. So I, I enjoy it. Uh, I think it was a smart move from the league, and I, I'm looking forward to hopefully staying in it as long as we can. Well, and one uh, unique uh, wrinkle for this year is you guys just played a San Jose team that you hadn't seen before uh, in, in the regular season. That's not the case coming up. You're playing a team that you've played a thousand times this year. Um, I guess what's the – What's that like for you, having played this team so much, and, and maybe it will be a little different from the San Jose in uh, in the terms of the tactical chess match between the two managers? 
Yeah, San Jose, as much as you watch them and you don't, you don't experience it yourself and you're not fully prepared or you're, you don't know exactly what they're going to do just because you haven't played against them, Minnesota's a team that we've played against. But I think what the wrinkle this year is this year's just brought a lot of consistencies all over the place because of everything else going on in the world. So, you know, you play a team one time and you get a completely different look the second time. Um, for us, you know, there was always rotation with players and, and even then with injuries and rotations and things like that. So I, I don't think we know exactly what we're going to get. Um, we know we're going to get a team that is very fast up front. Um, uh, Jake spoke to two of them, Molino and Finley are guys that just want to get out and touch the ball out in front of them and run onto it. And then, the, you know, having the likes of Reynoso, who's got a lot of quality on the ball, looks to get underneath. And then a guy like Kike Marr, which everyone here is so familiar with. So they're, they're going to be a good team. Uh, they're much better organized defensively. And I think they're going to be coming in here with a lot of momentum after winning 3-0 in their first um, playoff game. Tim, uh, I want to say, uh, obviously, you talked about the, the attackers and they've got a good group. But, uh, you know, from a, as a goalkeeper yourself, what do you see out of uh, the, the young guy in Minnesota and Dwayne St. Clair there? who's come in and I think has done a real good job and kind of changed the way that uh, uh, they, even though Tyler Miller is obviously a great goalkeeper, gets hurt, but uh, he's really come in there and solidified stuff for Minnesota. Yeah, it's funny because it's a guy you heard about, and when he got his opportunity, he just kind of ran away with it. I mean, even in their last game, I think it was in the third or fourth minute, he makes a huge save on a, on a pretty big a letdown from their defense. And then all of a sudden it kind of gave the team momentum and then all of a sudden they're out there scoring their first goal. So you can see that when those things type of happen, the, the, the team believes in him, which is the biggest thing. And he's kind of, and he's shown why they should believe in him. Um, he's made the big saves when he's had to, and to go into their first playoff win and come out with a shutout, it's gotta be a, you know, a big boost of confidence for him. All right, Tim, let's, uh, let's transition to a little Thanksgiving talk, you know, since this is, this is Thanksgiving week. Uh, first things first, are you a big Thanksgiving guy? Is this, is this wh where does it rank in your holidays? Normally, it's a, it's a big deal. Um, I mean, I guess in the past few years, it hasn't with soccer, but uh, normally it's a fun time with the family, get all the cousins and extended family together. Um, this year is going to be a little different. Fortunately, our parents, my parents are here, so it'll fill up the table a little bit. We actually just went grocery shopping last night for turkey. We got this big 22-pounder. For what reason, I don't know, but we got a big turkey. <laughs> but we're looking forward to it. Um, we're just happy to have some people around and, you know, celebrate with family members. What's your favorite side? So I had – and I'm <laughs> – no one can hear me down here, so I'll be okay. But so our team actually prepared uh, a Thanksgiving meal a couple days ago, and it was the best Thanksgiving meal I've ever had in my life. It was so uh, good. The man. cook, the cooks. Did Carter? Did you have it? I had two or three helpings. Oh my, that was so good. The uh, sweet potato with like a pecan crusted brown sugar. It was really good. Fantastic. So, so shout, tell, shout tell out to us. Chef Jamie. Yeah, so yeah. so the the chef did all this. You guys didn't have to potluck it. You didn't have to each bring your own dish or anything like that. No, we didn't do anything. They did a full Thanksgiving meal, and then we even had a dessert, a little tiramisu cake, which was really good as well. Wow, wow, that sounds that sounds tremendous. Well, hey, 
Hope you guys are well fed. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. You guys training on Thanksgiving Day? Uh, we are not. Yeah. Okay. You got a little time because the game's not going to be till Monday or Tuesday next week. So that's great. Hopefully you can enjoy it with your family. Tim, we really appreciate the time. Congratulations on, on making history yet again. And I know that the job isn't done. You guys got more work to do. So best of luck the rest of the playoffs. Thank you very much. And happy Thanksgiving, everybody. There you go. That is Tim Melia. We'll take a break. We'll be back to talk more about this matchup between Sporting and Minnesota United right after this on the Sporting Kansas City Show. And we're back to wrap things up on this edition of the Sporting Kansas City Show on your home for SKC Soccer, Sports Radio 810 WHB, and wherever you stream your video content, wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you joining us. Thanks to Jacob Peterson for joining us, as well as Tim Melia, now me and Carter Augustine to wrap things up and bring it home as Sporting KC will take on Minnesota United on either December 1st or December 2nd. Hopefully we'll find out the day and time here pretty soon, Carter. But, uh, yeah, this one's different, right? All of a sudden, a very familiar foe coming to Children's Mercy Park. What do you expect this time around? Yeah. Um, can we do quickly talk about, you know, the other guys that played against San Jose for uh, a minute? Yeah, uh, let's do it, man. No, I just um, – I mentioned, we mentioned it with Tim uh, when he was on, but I just thought it was so incredible to see Roger Espinosa in his 300th appearance and he, and he scores his first playoff goal for the club. I mean, what a moment that was for Roger, right? No doubt about it. And look, one of the things we talked about before the game was as notable as anything in the lineup to start the game was who wasn't there. Alan Polito, the highest priced, Signing in club history, not in the 18 or the, the 20, I guess it is now. <laughs> um, Gotti Keen is on the bench. Graham Zussi and Matt Beasler, who had played and started every playoff game since moving into Children's Bercy Park in, in franchise history, both unavailable with injury. Roger Espinosa and, and Sessanovic's in, in New England, you know, the guy that had played in all those games. So Roger Espinosa is the one guy from all those championship teams. And of course he didn't win that MLS cup as we've covered with him when we had him on the show last week, he's the one guy that's still out there. And that said a lot to me. Number one, it said, this has been a transition year. Obviously Matt and Graham played a lot of minutes for the team this year. They're still part of the part of the team, but there's been that little transition. This happens in sports. Some teams do it by tearing it down and rebuilding. Other teams do it by, maybe holding on to guys too long, and then the team struggles because of it. It looks like Sporting KC has found a way to, to transition and bring all these young guys along while the veteran players have still played a key role in the team here in 2020, getting that first place seed. They manage the minutes of Roger through the course of this year at 34 years old, right? A lot of games down the stretch where he only played the first half or the second half of the game. I don't know about you, Carter. I feel like it's full go Roger Espinoza the rest of the way in the playoffs this year. I agree 100%. And you, you see the impact he has on the, on the pitch as well. And Tim Melia talked about it. He's, we saw it last year when he was missing and, and the team really was missing that steal. And, and he just brings the bite. El mete pata, as we learned from Ilya. And yep. Get your paw stuck in. Yeah, he does. <laughs> um, and it was great to see him. He's so good in the air that it kind of surprised me, you know, that he hasn't really scored for sporting with headers, but because he's 
on defensive set pieces, he's so good. And usually he's attacking in the, in the box as well. So great to see him. And then, you know, I think a reason why they're able to uh, retool this year, as, as Peter Vermees has said, said it, and he doesn't want to say, you know, rebuild or, or whatever, is that you've got a good core of guys in their prime as well, like a Johnny Russell, who, uh, again, was a threat the entire game and, and his delivery on set pieces has been phenomenal. Um, Sporting Casey leads the league in corner kick goals. So, you know, that's an, an incredible stat and a, another uh, arrow to having your quiver in the playoffs. And then you, know, you talked about the young kids. I thought Jalen Lindsay, you know, was, was pretty good. He, he led the team in passing accuracy. Um, and then John Luke Capuccio, you know, talked to him before the game and he was excited for his first playoff match. And I thought he got himself about the pitch as well. So, you know, huge credit to Tim Melia for the for the big moments throughout the game and in the penalty kick shootout. But, you know, it's a it's a team efforts and um, three really good penalties from Johnny Russell, Ilya, and, and Kyrie Shelton, and um, you know some good goals in the game as well. Ilya's goal comes from a guy who has said many times that he doesn't score goals. That's not <laughs> his job. Yeah. And you mentioned him with El Mete Pata. He. The team is now 11-2-1 this year when Elie starts. And we discussed with him when we had him on the show uh, how different he's been since rejoining the team after, you know, going back to Barcelona and spending time with his father, last, last chance to spend time with his dad. He didn't really discuss that with us when we asked him why he was different. He talked more about the soccer aspect of watching games and learning from Busio and learning – um, you know, thinking about his position from the outside looking in. But I thought I mean, when, when Peter Vermees and I had a happy hour uh, with the fans uh, this past week getting ready for the playoff game, I asked him about it. And he said, look, I think that gave Elie the opportunity to have some closure on a personal chapter in his life and to come back feeling good about the fact that he had gone home. And, and I think, you know, I don't think we can make enough out of the way that Peter Vermees and the organization handled that situation. I don't know how every club in the world would handle it. Maybe they all would handle it the same way. And in the end, I think it's, it's clear to say that Peter Vermees handled it well from the club's perspective in terms of getting the most out of the player. That's not even the most important part. But what he did was he told Elie, you go home. And you take as much time as you need. And then you come back. And to do that allowed Elie to have that time with his family that he had been missing out on being halfway across the planet. And to come, come back feeling like he had done what he needed to do, you know, and, and, and had his time with his dad. And he's told me personally he was already loyal to the club before that, but that loyalty is even greater. His mom and brother are here now in Kansas City with him in this journey. We've watched it, man. You can Anybody that wants to deny that there is a spark in Elie now, and he was always a really good player for sporting, but there's a spark there now that has been enormous for this team, and we saw it again in the playoff game. We sure did. I mean, he pops up with his first goal of the season, like you said, not his job, but um, I mean, shoot, he almost scored against RSL as well. Um, mm -hmm. Not for uh, 
the heel of Kyrie Shelton. Um, <laughs> but you're right. I mean, talking to him, you can tell how much it meant to him, the, the club's decision or the club allowing him to take as much time as he needed. And you're right that it's paid dividends for the club, not only in Ilya's performances, um, but also Gianluca Busio got more time in a different role. And, I, and we, I think we've all talked about how that's helped him see the game a little differently. We talked with Ilya in his interview a couple weeks ago. It's helped Ilya see the game uh, a little bit differently, watching from the outside for the first time since, I mean, he, come, he comes over here and pretty much is in the team every single game. Um, so he got a, a fresh new view at it. Uh, you know, I, I was asking our, our training, Sporting Casey's training staff um, uh, about the, the running stats, and I, I kind of anticipated either Kyrie Shelton or Gianluca Buzio being the, being the top one just from me watching the game and seeing how those guys got about the pitch. And Kyrie Shelton was the most high-intensity runner, but Ilya covered the most ground almost 10 miles in the game. Um, and he's just been – like you said, he's been so valuable. That record speaks for itself since he's come back into the team. It's the reason why they're on such a hot streak and we're able to, to claim the one seed. And you're right, he, he has been a huge difference maker for this team since coming back. And Jacob mentioned it, that backhill from Kyrie Shelton. That, that, was, that was top class, just really top was. class. What a moment. Yeah, that was, that was incredible. And I'm sure they thought that was the game winner at the time. Unfortunately, Wando pops up at the back post. I thought it was interesting from Tim Melia that saying that the most frustrating part of the game is the three goals for San Jose came pretty much on the most specific thing they focused on. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's obviously not a plus for the team and, and they'll, be, they'll be working to fix that. But uh, hey, they, they survived it and they advanced. And yeah, I mean, that back heel was... And, and, and the stadium was, was nuts, as, as Tim Melia rightly said, especially when, when Busio scored that goal. And the stadium's going to be nuts on uh, Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever the first and second are yeah. of next week. Um, that's when Sporting will play Minnesota United. Look, you didn't need us to preview, preview that game anyway. Uh, you know Minnesota United. If you're a Sporting Kansas City fan, you know what they're about. You've seen them. Sporting have played against them a bunch of times. It's the nicest rivalry in sports. And uh, it should be another really good game um, here at uh, Children's Mercy Park. Yeah, and as, as Melia said, they're in, they should be feeling pretty good about themselves in, in good form, uh, a good 3-0 win. And, and it might be a little different. You hear the Minnesota United players talking about Reynoso and the difference he's mm-hmm. made since coming in. Um, Sporting saw a little glimpse of him, and he was, he was pretty good in that cameo. Um, but he's now had an extended period of time in the team they're starting to understand how each other work with him as an instrumental role. So, you know, he could be a big difference maker for this Minnesota unit. So that'll be kind of the one little wrinkle for, for Minnesota United that may be a little different for Sporting KC to look out for. That matchup, Elie versus Reynoso. Can Elie keep him under wraps a little bit? And then, the, the, you know, can Gianluca Busio make some things happen himself? Uh, in, in the attack for Sporting KC. Will Alan Polito be back? We'll find out all the answers to that. So, Carter, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving, buddy. Happy Thanksgiving, man. And, uh, and, and Thanksgiving to all of out, uh, happy Thanksgiving to all of you out there listening and watching. We really appreciate you, and we will see you next week. We'll find out about when the Sporting Kansas City show is because it's going to depend on when the game is, Sporting KC versus Minnesota United. We'll see you next time on the Sporting Kansas City show.